Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson. And this is Buck Green. And this is the Friday Reload Podcast for Modern Combat and Survival for the week of December 1st, 2014. This is our opportunity for Buck and I to get together, chat about the news, chat about the blog, uh, chat about your comments, and just kind of get together and talk about the week's events and everything. This is... um. So a lot's been happening, and we actually missed the last Friday Reload podcast because it's the holidays. It was Thanksgiving. Um, I had a pretty cool Thanksgiving this year. It was just uh, we didn't really have a lot of family. I, don't, I didn't realize how many people don't have like a big family to have. I've always had big Thanksgiving meals around the table, like every single year. And this was the first year um, our sons weren't with us, except for our youngest son. And so one of our friends at church said. You know, hey, I think we're going to open up. You know, we don't have anybody this year, so we thought we'd open up to anybody that doesn't have anybody, you know, to really spend Thanksgiving with and do a like a buffet, just kind of hang out and everything. And we had over 40 people that showed up to the thing. I didn't realize there were that many people. I guess there's like a lot of empty nesters and people that live away from families and things like that. But actually, I had a I had a re- I had a great time. I, I mean, there were our church is very close knit. And um, anyway, I had a, I had a great Thanksgiving. Buck, did you? I I don't even think I checked in with you. I was so busy that day. How, how, how was Thanksgiving? You know, it's funny. Every year for Valentine's Day, I do the same thing. I say, look, I uh, don't have anybody this year, so come on down, and uh, you know, thirty, forty people will uh, celebrate Valentine's Day together. And Valentine's Day? I was. I'm sorry. I was making a whole oh. appropriate <laughs> joke. <laughs> I no, I had a, I had a good Thanksgiving. There was, there was plenty of. I had a traditional Thanksgiving with my mom. I like the and, Valentine's uh, Day thing. Yes, that's the only thing I don't like about uh, uh, visiting my mother for Thanksgiving is my mother owns two of the most hateful cats on planet Earth. <laughs> she she calls them Furball and Poophead, and I am not making that up. <laughs> I I I. She, at one point, she was discussing the the fact that. They, they, what the cat's real names were, and I said, "Do you ever call them that?" And she said, "Well, no." I said, "Then that's not their real names. Their real names are indeed Furball and Poophead." Parents need us to really interject, you know, reality. I think sometimes into thinking. Well, that's what my twelve-year-old yeah, thinks anyway. I mean, he's still interjecting reality into into my life. Well, the day that I fully embrace reality, I suppose, will be the day that it's over for me. But. But yeah, so it was, I had a very good, very good Thanksgiving. Good. Well, you know, I'm sure not everybody out there really cares about my Thanksgiving all that much, but there was a lot going on over the last couple of weeks. And, we, and, uh, and like I said, we missed last week's Friday Reload podcast, but there has been a lot, a lot happening. Now, first of all, the reason why I missed the one before that and why it's been a while since I've been on back on the Friday Reload is that I was attending Kevin Reeves' uh, Urban Escape and Evasion course here in Austin. And we had a really great, Really great time. Um, I don't want to give away too much about the, the course itself, but uh, because there's uh, there were some things that I was surprised by when I took the course, and I don't want to I don't want to do any spoiler, but you, you've got, if you get a chance to take this course, you really have to do it. They have some uh, Kevin has some great people on his team that really know what they're doing, like like really know what they're doing, and essentially it's. It's like our social chaos escape and evasion guide, like in a practical exercise. And when I say practical exercise, I mean like it's a realistic exercise. The final day is where you take the skills that you learn, like picking locks, getting out of handcuffs, zip ties, being tied up with rope, bagged and tagged, um, 
escape and evasion principles, gray man principles, and there are exercises that you, you do each night in the city for you to learn these skills. And then you have to put them to the test on the final day where you do an escape and evasion exercise where you ha- you literally have to escape from captivity and then evade your way to a safe house. And uh, it was, uh, unfortunately, I was not able to do the final day exercise, which really sucked. Um, but my son was spitting up blood for four days while I was while I was gone on the course. And so we didn't know if we were going to the hospital. But I am going to be taking the course again. And it was good to have some of our readers that were actually in there. Some people have been following our podcast and everything. So I want to give a shout out to them. Really a great a great team to, to do this with. And um so definitely highly, but there was, there was one story because you were, you were just telling me where you, before the show, you were telling me about how, and I think a lot of people get this, like you're, you're shopping at Walmart or Best Buy or whatever, and somebody comes up and asks you, you know, where something is, like you're one of the employees. You know, that happens to me constantly, and it, it almost seems irrelevant what I'm wearing. Like, I understand if you walk into Target wearing a red polo shirt and a pair of khakis, mm-hmm. that somebody might mistake you for an employee. But I've had that happen even when I wasn't dressed anything like somebody who would work there. And I've never quite understood why. Like, if I just have that aura of working up to my full potential in retail <laughs> or I, I look like I might know where stuff is. And I'm always tempted to be like, oh, yeah, it's over there. Take whatever you want. It's free today. You know, just... <laughs> give somebody so when they're you know they're stuffing them into a cop car because they set up the security system they're like that guy said i could (laughs) what guy yeah it's well we had um one of our social engineering projects uh when we were when we were taking the the escape and evasion course was you had to overnight you had to somehow socially engineer something for free like you basically had to um coerce somebody into into getting whatever it was, like a free room or an upgrade or something like that. And the next morning we all came in with our stories and one of the guys was he, he was at his hotel and he had gone out and, and gotten some food at a restaurant and got a doggy bag for the rest of the food and come back. And there he was behind the hotel and there was a guy back there and he and he thought, well and I don't know what he was going to what he was going to get from the guy, but he was basically going to like engineer something more than what he was giving. So he went up, and I don't know what you would get from a homeless guy, but he went up there and he's like, "Hey, man, you want some you want some food?" And the guy is like, "You know, no, 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 it's okay." And he said, "No, really, you can have it. I just came back from the restaurant. It's barely touched. You know, you have you have this food." And he's like, "Dude, who do you think I am?" And he's like, "Well, aren't you homeless?" He's like, "No, I'm staying at the damn same damn hotel you are." I was like, that's got to be the ultimate mistaken identity. Like, oops, <laughs> are you, you, know, you it, sure you don't still want really, the half-eaten sandwich? It's really time to evaluate your fashion and your personal hygiene. If people are mistaking you for a homeless guy, <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, sir. You look like you've slept in your clothes for several days, and you're wearing everything you own. <laughs> you smell really bad. Yeah, like sorry, like, you well, the smell. I, it, if somebody like it's one thing if somebody thinks you work in retail, it's another thing if somebody thinks you must be homeless. That would really bother me. I'd have to sit down and take stock of my life. Be like, where have I gone wrong? Well, I think we've all made enough mistakes early on that you, like you have. We are, now you now have this self check system in place. Like I won't, I won't tell, I won't congratulate any woman on being pregnant until 
Oh, like she's about ready to pop. Yeah, there's nothing worse to be like, so what do you do? <laughs> Never. I'm just fat. Like, okay, well, I'll just throw myself into traffic now. Yeah, especially when it's your friends and you see them growing little by little, and you're like, are they? Are they? Do I say? Do I, are they? Am I being mean by not saying congratulations? Yes, you know, I, I am 68 months pregnant myself right now. <laughs> Good for you. Well, so but it was a really great course, and I highly recommend everybody checking out. Um, Kevin's website is onpointtactical.com. He's got a bunch of different courses over there. He travels around the country. Uh, this is his, by far his most popular course, the Urban Escape and Evasion Program. And uh, Kevin's a great guy. Jerry, who was helping him out, great guy. Like these are the these are the salt of the earth kind of guys, and 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 experience. They know what they're they know what they're talking about. It's not theory. But he's got a lot of other great courses too, like tracking, survival medicine. And uh, he's been featured on 60 Minutes. We've we've hosted him several times on both our our broadcasts for a podcast as well as other stuff. And it's it's really um he's got some really great stuff. So anyway, go check out his uh, website his blog, and where the courses might be coming to you. So Now, there has been a lot happening in the news. There's not been a lot happening on the blog lately for us to get some comments and stuff from, but there has been a lot happening in the news. And specifically, we've got people up in arms all around the country. I mean, even when we were doing the Urban Escape and Evasion course, I always try to stay on top of what's happening in my local area and the city. So that I, you know, I just know if I'm going into the city, I want to know if there's anything, you know, potentially violent that could be happening. Like, you know, we always talk about like flash mob riots and things like that. And people's response, kind of the no-duh response on our blog and anywhere we go is like, well, duh, just stay away from riots. It's like, okay, well, how do you know that, that they're going to happen? If you're going through a city, you know, okay, stay away from riot. Well, that's great if you, you suddenly turn a corner on a one-way street and now all of a sudden you're in the middle of, of a, of a mob, you know, you, you can't escape that. You know, if you, if you're, you see big signs saying political protests tomorrow, yeah, you know, you can stay out of the city tomorrow. But, but how do you stay away from protests and riots, especially when you're unfamiliar with the area? And so there are a lot that you can do. You can, you can Google things. You just Google things like, you know, Austin protests, Dallas protests, wherever it is that you're going, that is is a city that could potentially have some problems. And so it just so happened that we were waiting for the decision during the escape and evasion course when we were in Austin. We were waiting for the decision of whether there was going to be an indictment in the in the Darren Wilson case uh, from Ferguson, uh, from Ferguson, Missouri, whether he was going to be indicted or not. And there were planned protests, and so I knew where they were going to be within the city, which just happened to be. Originally, where we had our our path going for, uh, I think for the the final exercise. So we, I think we rerouted everything just to make sure it was on on the same, you know, it was away from where planned protests were. But um, there, there's, you know, and then the and then the decision came down. It wasn't actually it was a few days later, but the decision came down that there was not going to be an indictment. Of course, people were very very upset about that, and. Uh, you know whether he should it should actually go to trial or not and and now there's you know it's it's really tough because i mean there's 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 good and bad on both sides and this was a, you know a real it was a tragic event i don't think i don't wish for anybody's death i've experienced way too much death in my lifetime and the effects that it has on families and things like that so actually i don't even care to get into the you know the the should have or 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 whatever's of it, but 
what what was very striking to me was George Stephanopoulos's uh ABC News interview with Darren Wilson after there was you know there was a decision of no indictment and it was safe for him to come out and tell the complete story and everything. Um did, Buck, did you see that interview? Well, I did and the first thing that struck me about the whole case was we were told one thing, like, you know, we were given this narrative of just kind of like when your 12-year-old niece comes home from school and tells you that the reason she's in trouble is because the teacher just hates her, and one day the teacher got up and said, uh, I hate you and I'm punishing you for no good reason, and you look at your 12-year-old niece and you go, no part of that story makes any sense. Yeah. Well, we were sold this narrative in the media that, well, Darren Wilson rolled up wearing a KKK hood and jumped out of his car and said, I'm going to kill me some people of color, and then proceeded to shoot this guy with his hands up while he was praying and helping orphans cross the street. And none of that was true. It was complete and utter bullshit. So, yes, you can argue the, the actual facts of the case, but we didn't have facts to start with. We had this bizarre narrative that, of course, made it look like only the most depraved of racists would not indict this man. And then, surprise, the grand jury, when actually looking at the physical evidence, said, no, I guess we won't. So then when Wilson finally gave his interview, and I don't understand why it took so long for him to actually tell his side of the story. I mean, I get intellectually why he waited. Well, legally. I mean, you don't want to come out well, yeah. and just start blow, you know, throwing throwing information out there that could be used against you. It's like, wait a minute. Your statement yeah, but, says this, but, and you told George this. What I don't get, though, is... In a, in a case that was clearly being tried in the media before it had even begun, I don't get why his side wasn't leaking sort of counter leaks to the media to counter this narrative that was totally and utterly false. It's disappointing to me that what we'll probably never see is a prosecution for perjury against the one guy who was a friend of Michael Brown who lied his ass off and was contradicted by multiple other witnesses. You know, I mean, the guy just flat made it up. It was my 12-year-old niece all over again. Oh, yeah, man, he, he had his hands up, and he was saying, don't shoot me, and, and Darren Wilson just killed him because he hated him. Like, yeah, no part of that story makes sense. Yeah. Because, you know, even if my, even if uh, Darren Wilson was the most racist son of a bitch who's ever held a nightstick, and there's certainly plenty of corrupt cops out there. I mean, cops are just people. People are good and bad. Even if that was the case, He's not like he didn't wake up that morning and go, I feel like pissing away my career. You know, he's he's got some kind of human motivation, even if he's a bad person. So it wouldn't make sense for him to just go around flat out murdering people because he was having a bad day. You know, even if a cop makes a misjudgment. Now, the what's interesting is we just yesterday got another decision in the case of New York of that guy who was choked Garner, yeah. by. And, of course, there's some debate about, well, no, he wasn't really choked to death. He was just in really bad health. So he up and died while they were choking him simultaneously, and blah, blah, blah. And it, it's on video, and the video is heartbreaking because the guy's like, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Oh, surprise, I'm dead. You know, and, and it's awful, and the cops sure come across like assholes, and the NYPD is notorious for just, you know, getting really out of control. Like, like the Abner Louima case in, in New York City where they sodomized the guy with a plunger. Like, yeah, that was okay, an extreme there's, case. there's no way to look at that case and, and go, well, clearly that's an understandable use of force. I needed to show him what's what. Like, no, no, that was just flat-out torture. 
So you know if that's happening, it's not unique. It's happened before. It will happen again. You don't just wake up and accidentally rape a guy with a plunger. You know? Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, there's so there there is a. I mean, we have three cases going on right now. I mean, it seems like it's really hit a fever pitch now. So we've got the Garner case in New York City. We've got Ferguson, Missouri indictment, and then we've got the 12 year old kid with an airsoft gun that was just pulled up and you know shot in the middle of the uh, thing, and, and that's on video as well. And so there's a lot happening right now, and I think there are lessons from all. I think I think the New York City one to me that was a bad decision not to indict. From the simple standpoint yeah. of, and I've been, look, I've been in security, and and I and I get it, you know, when you've got a, a three hundred pound behemoth in in front of you, and who's who has his hands up and won't let you handcuff him, like, you're like, what do you do? Like, I I get that, you know, I I understand the knee jerk response to try and put a chokehold on the guy, but you're not allowed to put a chokehold on him, and so like, yeah, so I mean, that's like just as if you were if you were a, a corporation. And it was illegal to, you know, dump stuff in the uh, in the in the in the water system, you know, chemicals in the water system. Like you're not supposed to do this, and you do that, and somebody dies because of it. Well, you did something you weren't supposed to do, and that caused, you know, somebody's death. And I, so I, I understand what they went through because I've been in that situation trying to take somebody down that doesn't want to go down. But the it's always going to be a black and white. Well, I can't say always now, right? Because well, there is no indictment. It's further complicated by the fact that your everyone's initial response, like we talk a lot about the militarization of police and about how certain aspects of policing in the United States are getting really out of control. And that's true. But just because we acknowledge that police are not always right, we also have to acknowledge that they're not always wrong. So watching people's sort of knee-jerk reactions in all of these cases so many people want very uh, understandably to support the police and that, you know, they don't want to believe that the people who, you know, part of the time are capturing very dangerous criminals are also, you know, power crazed murderers, you know, and it's never all one or all another. So you get these people who will bend over backwards, uh, like in the Gardner case in New York city to say, well, he shouldn't have resisted. If he hadn't resisted, he wouldn't be dead. Well, that's probably true, but at the same time, you know, it, it wasn't just him. You know, like, yes, he was committing a mild crime selling cigarettes that weren't taxed. But I would hate to think that, you know, the, the penalty for that crime is death. Now, the same argument was made in Ferguson. Well, no, no mother should have to fear for her son's life every time he robs a store. Like, uh, yeah, actually, she probably should because her son's a thug. Yeah, But, you know, you can go back and forth and back and forth looking at both sides of that issue and drive yourself crazy because, on the one hand, you understand that there are many good police officers who put their lives on the line. On the other hand, there's also plenty of corrupt police officers who abuse their power. And and we sort of vacillate between the two. We, we want to support law enforcement for good reason, and yet we resent these abuses of power. So... You know, there will be a lot of people who think that if you feel one way in one of these cases, it's inconsistent to go the other way in another of these cases. But that's actually not true because every case is different. The facts are unique. You have to look at each one of those and then understand at the end of the day, you don't have all the facts that the jury had. So there may be reasons why, for instance, in New York, they chose not to indict that police officer. In that particular case, I think it should have gone to trial because 
this man is dead under circumstances that are not immediately justifiable using a technique, like you said, that's not legal. So I think a trial would help clear up exactly whether that was appropriate or not. Yeah. But, yeah, and, you know, it's, and uh, it's kind of indicative of our, our entire system. You know, I mean, we shouldn't really have the prosecutors who have to network with the police being the ones to decide whether or not the case should go to trial. I mean, that's going to ruin their career if they're the ones yeah. saying, yeah, let's make it go to trial. So, yeah, so there's, there's always an element of the, the cops investigating themselves that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. But then, you know, we have to we have to look deeper at some of the stuff. So, you know, things that I'm also noticing are what is the message that we're we 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 support the police officers. We support good police officers, and we believe in you know we, I, I support law enforcement. But I also part of that support is for me a realization that they truly are being brainwashed in many ways. We talk about the uh, the militarization of police, and we've talked with with experts in the past about how just donning this equipment changes the psychological factor to of a police officer to an us versus them to a you know there's there's an enemy out there and and that's that's supported you know every single day when they're out going through especially high crime neighborhoods it's you versus them and you know as much as you want to say we're part of the community we're there to serve and protect you know if you're rolling up into gangland that it's an us versus them sort of a thing and so you always have to be and Darren Wilson even said it in his thing it's like you know as soon as you let your guard down that's that's where you don't come home well, yeah, so you always everybody's have, looking to kill you right and, and and the reality is no not everybody is looking to kill you they're certainly they're certainly not but you you do have to have your guard up you're in a high well, threat environment yeah. More accurately, one out of every 20 people you meet wants to kill you. You just don't right. get to know who. Well, and now, of course, and it's gotten worse now, but a majority of them don't trust you. And we're seeing these stories come across now. So, so, but, but I think what's, for me, on a bigger picture, taking more of like a, a bird's eye view of everything, what scares, scares me the most is, is that even the general public now is seeing the signs of militarization of police and the programming that's happening with their minds. So, one, the message that we're sending to police right now isn't necessarily like they're all waiting to go kill people and, wow, I can get away with it. But, I mean, let's face it, we have video of them killing somebody now. We have, you know, we have things that are happening. Now we have the, um, well, I'll talk about that in a minute, but we have video now. Like, basically, it's, I understand the frustration of you know African Americans out there, like what? We even have video when we can't get an indictment. Like seriously, well, we can't. <laughs> there's a video floating around right now of a guy who got detained for walking with his hands in his pockets, and and even he's like, really? Like you're stopping me because I have my hands in my pockets? It's winter. Or the guy going in, like, sir, can you please get your license? Yeah, hold on one second. Goes into his car and it's like, sir, sir, boom, boom, boom. You know, shot like. We have video of all of this stuff, and and so I, I understand the frustration. And, but we're also sending a message to police officers that, um, in in an environment where they do feel threatened, or it's you know they're they're putting their life on their line every day, that they have this big, giant gray buffer zone that is going to be in their favor. We see that with, you know, Ferguson. Any we you can see the demeanor in the eyes of the police officers who are, you know, the jack booted riot police throughout there. You can see um 
you can see in their demeanor that it's an us versus them thing. And my the to me the the worst thing that I've seen over these last couple of weeks that really brings this home is uh you know and we're working right now on on a program that really highlights all of this and shows people what they can do about it. But you know, we've got a 12-year-old on video in in the park with an airsoft gun. Okay, pointing it at people, stupid enough to take off the orange tip on the end of it. I get that, right? Waving it around. You know, he's a 12-year-old playing with an airsoft gun. Shouldn't be, and my kid wouldn't be, but shouldn't be. But police cruiser rolls up and just blasts. 12-year-old kid is dead. My son is 12 years old, and he plays with airsoft guns, and I would I would preface that with responsibly. But still, it's it's a 12-year-old kid. And cruiser rolls up, and it's almost like an assassination. They, I mean, it's not like the kid was like had the gun up, ready to fire on the police or anything. So this is a tragic event. But here, here's why, to me, one of the things that makes this very important is that we've been talking about. Well, we've not been talking about it, but we've been researching. We've got the the no hesitation targets that are used by being used with law enforcement. Now, I'm not saying that every local, you know. PD in in Mayberry, United States, has these no hesitation targets. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, these targets are designed to take away that that don't shoot factor in the shoot don't shoot decision. When you have somebody that you might not typically want to shoot at, but is still holding a gun, and it's and it's you or them. So you've got like a pregnant mom, you have you have a, a little girl. And you've got this little boy on a playground holding a gun and they're all smiling. They all look like they're, you know, they just got done, you know, eating, eating dessert and like, Oh, I've got this gun and I'm going to shoot you now. So it's meant to literally program you during an adrenalized event to not hesitate and taking the shot. And, and then here we have, and I don't know if these officers went, have used these targets before in the past, but nonetheless, people know that they're out there. Law enforcement knows that they're out there. And cruiser pulls up, there is a boy on a playground with a gun, and there was it seemed that there was no hesitation. He was it just really makes dead. You wonder. It makes you wonder why his thought process wasn't, well, that could be a real gun. The chances are much greater that it's not, so I should go ascertain whether or not it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just tragic from, from all different angles. But it, it definitely does for me, it brings up that you really do. I, I've never, I've never felt threatened by police before. Um, and I've never been in a situation where, you know, I've been thrown up against the fence or whatever. But we are having situations now where even veterans are being targeted for you know, speaking out against government corruption. And you know, we we have there is a new terrorist in town, and it's you. It's me. I'm definitely, I have all the characteristics of the new terrorist that the United States government's saying that you should be, you should be afraid of. And so, well, and this part is part of that problem is that the, the government listens to, uh, entities like the Southern Poverty Law Center, or whatever, however you say their name, which is a, a political agitating group that has nothing to do with either poverty or the law. It exists solely to demonize gun owners and conservatives and proclaim them to be hate groups. And 
this uh, this entity's uh, recommendations were taken into account when the DHS issued that report that says, oh, uh, basically anyone who might vote against Obama is a domestic terrorist. If he's if he was in the military, if he was uh, a third-party voter, if he's got guns, if he stockpiled supplies, if he actually thinks the government can't be trusted, he's probably a domestic terrorist. So, you know, when, when the government goes to these agenda-driven groups whose only purpose is to demonize people they don't agree with and proclaim them hate mongers, um, then creates policy on that basis, then what you have is an extremely partisan approach to proclaiming essentially anyone who disagrees with you, somebody who you can kill at will. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a scary environment that, that we're all in, and it's not just African-Americans now. I, I think we're going to see a, a lot more cases. It's what people don't know that's also happening out there. Now, African-Americans and the police, this is really front and center right now. There's a lot of reasons for it. I get it. There's a lot of reasons, I guess, maybe on, on both sides. I get it. Uh, but there is a deeper meaning here, and, and it affects all of us. And the last thing that I'll bring up in this was um, – was the Darren Wilson interview with George Stephanopoulos. And and what stood out for me the most for for me and and what I think everybody needs to to really take a look at out there are the legal aspects of if you ever have to use your firearm in self-defense. If you're ever attacked if you even if even in your own home that you could be the one on trial of whether or not you're going to go to prison based upon your actions. And you have to understand that a prosecutor's job is to put you into jail. That's his job. Like, it's not like he can look at the case and say, eh, you know what, I don't really think this guy's uh, guilty, so uh, I'll go in there and just kind of you know, do a little tap dance and then leave and the guy can go home. It's not his job to decide whether or not you're, you're guilty or innocent. It's his job to say, to show the jury that you're guilty. And so they are going to, you know, use any any trick in their book and it might not seem fair to you but it is a trick in their book and so some of the things that George Stephanopoulos asked the questions that he asked were, were very very common in a in a courtroom and people don't realize it until it's too late you know as an example um i i was my jaw hit the floor when he said after he after uh he was talking about when Darren Darren uh, Wilson had actually shot Brown. He's like, really? Like, but he was like 35, 40 feet away. Did you really have to shoot him from 35, 40 feet away? Now, this goes back to what we always talk about with the Tuller drill, which is was an exercise that was done by police where a, 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 an officer in uniform with holster and gun and everything on a belt, not concealed, facing off versus a simulated attacker with a knife from 20, 21 feet away determined that within 21 feet, that person can reach you with a knife before you can get off a shot. Now, there there are so many things wrong with this, it drives me fucking crazy. You're concealed. First of all, the, the officer knows that an attack is coming. The attacker knows that he's going to put a knife into somebody. You're, he's not concealed. He's not carrying concealed. You don't have all of that luxury. Um, even even so, I mean, let's let's go ahead and say best case scenario. 
Darren Wilson knew he was in a fight because he'd already had a an exchange with him. Brown was running away, turned around and started coming back, like charging back. So he did have his weapon already out. We've already we've done tests, we've pressure tested this where from somebody from 50 feet away can reach you before you can get off a shot. And that's a shot. It didn't take us it doesn't take a shot to put somebody down. It takes several shots to stop somebody. And and during that time, we call it the dead man's 10 seconds, even if you have shot somebody with a lethal round, even if that one shot pierced their heart and was going to was going to kill them, they've got about 10 seconds to do whatever the hell they want to do. That's a lot when you're armed to be able to kill you. So but Again, the, the question is very, it's, it's indicative of, of, of what the public sentiment is. Oh my God, he shot him from 40 feet away. So picture yourself in a courtroom. Did you, Mr. Anderson, did you really have to shoot him? The guy was 35, 40 feet away. Why did you shoot him? Only if you know ahead of time that somebody from 35, 40 feet away is a is a lethal threat to you? Can you answer that question of why you shot that person? If you don't have prior knowledge of that, with the reasonable man theory, if you don't have prior knowledge of that, then you don't. That's not even admissible in court. If you find it out after the fact, then it's not admissible in court. And unfortunately, even in our escape, urban escape and evasion course, the, the conversation was coming up, and it was reiterated that. Somebody within 21 feet is, you know, you can legally shoot them within 21 feet. And I was like, no, no, that's not true. Like, guys, you, you have guns. You you should you need to know this. It can be 35, 40 feet. Um, so that was only one thing. We're going to be highlighting a few of these on the blog this week of some things that you really need need to stand out for you as a personal protector for your family that you need to understand when it comes to what the public sentiment is going to be towards you in a courtroom, even if it was brown, but, you know, whatever, the guy looked huge. You know, he's 200, you know, 250, 300 pounds, six foot, whatever, coming into your house. Public sentiment is going to be like, oh, there's another another black guy who, you know, was shot unnecessarily because he was 35, 40 feet away in your driveway, in your home, on the street, wherever it is. And it doesn't have to be black. It could be anything. But, you know, the, the point is that any attacker from 35, 40 feet away, if he if you think that he's a threat to your life because he's charging at you and you don't know if he's armed or not, is a, a life or death scenario. And you have to be able to articulate why you pulled out a gun and shot them. But the public is going to be against you. A prosecutor is going to be against you. They're going to weave in these personal stories of, how these little angels with kids waiting at home are now not going home because they were they were only forty feet away charging at you. You didn't have to shoot them. Anyway, yeah. I could go on for another yeah. hour about this, but we're <laughs> we're kind of at the end. We're kind of at the end of the uh, end of this show, and and we are, but we are. I am going to take out some some parts from that video of the interview, and and highlight why they're important to different people because there's some other things that were said as well, and um, people need to know about them. And this is this this has nothing to do with whether he should have been indicted or not or anything. This is like, you know, you need to listen deeper to this and how it it affects you if you're ever forced to defend yourself with a handgun. Well, and I wish I really wish the 
like that bulletproof self-defense program that we put out, I wish that was required reading, not because we put it out, but because the information contained in that is so important to understanding use of force issues. One of the single biggest problems we have in our society today is that people do not understand use of force. So you get this constant Monday morning quarterback analysis where people say stupid things. Why don't you just shoot him in the legs? And why are police trained to dispense hugs rather than shoot people and blah, 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 blah. Well, on the other side, too, though, I mean, that's that's one aspect of it, the people that don't understand that part. But then just as much you have bravado on the other side, like, I would just shoot this motherfucker in the head, you know, or drag him back in or whatever. But you have – we get a lot of people on our blog that, you know, when I try to tell the legal aspects, like, no, in this situation you're not – you're not allowed to – like, you're not – you legally are not allowed to shoot – I get people on our own blog telling me I'm I'm some sort of, you know, you liberal motherfucker, you're sleeping with Hillary Clinton. It's people like you that, you know, are taking our, our country down. It's like, no, you can't you can't just go out there and start gunning people down. <laughs> yeah, it's it's shocking to me the amount of ignorance on both sides of just basic self defense principles. So then these legal cases happen which are based on you know, the the law is what's that old quote, the law is an ass and an idiot. But it's sort of a known quantity. Like, it's not like it's a mystery. We know what will get you in trouble. We've interviewed legal experts, people like Masad Ayub and other folks who are witnesses for hire. They, they do this for a, you know, well, maybe not for a living, but, uh, Masad Ayub travels the country yeah. acting as an expert witness for people about use of force issues. And there's just so much that people don't take the time to know that they could, if they bother to, you know, when you go out to get that gun, you should also be getting the legal training that keeps you out of jail. It's just part of the process. Yeah, and it's a part of the process that's not often given. I, I've, I've said before that when I took my concealed handgun class, three-quarters of the legal stuff that was required in the class was was pushed off to the very end when we didn't have time for it to make place to make way for the hour of second reasons why we need to fight for our Second Amendment rights that was not part of the course. And so, you know, it was like we went through all these reasons why, you know, the instructors were pissed off about us losing our rights and how the government sucks and this and that. And then when it got to, okay, here's when you can legally justifiably shoot somebody to stop them. Oh, shoot, we're almost out of time. Okay, well, I'm just going to kind of go through these slides real quick. Okay, okay, here's your gun. (laughs) It's like, I was, I left there like, are you, are you serious? Are you kidding me? I don't want well, anybody in this room to have a gun right now, not around me. Well, nobody, nobody is a more, uh, zealous advocate of the Second Amendment than I am. But I hate to see people get themselves into trouble just through ignorance. My father moved from New York State to Alabama, uh, and I wish I could join him, although at the end of the day, you're in Alabama! <laughs> but still, he told me that it took him exactly 10 minutes to get a concealed carry permit as a guy who just moved to the state from somewhere else. And all I could think is, welcome to Alabama. Here's your gun. Yeah. And, and you know, and while that's wonderful, and I would go broke buying guns if I lived in a state where you could do it easily like that, and I would be very happy to, except that I would still be in Alabama, uh, I just can't imagine if it's that much easier. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be. I think it should be. 
But people should voluntarily be getting the, the legal and self-defense training that is required to be able to defend themselves properly. Now, the good news is people who don't have what we would consider a lot of training successfully defend themselves thousands of times a year. It is one statistic that you see quoted in the NRA magazine and all that is like, you know, a million or a million point something. or You know, it happens a lot. And most of those people who are defending themselves, most of them don't shoot anybody. They just take out their gun and get ready to shoot somebody. And most yeah. of them really are amateurs when it comes to training, but they understand basically, I'm in fear for my life. I'm going to get that gun out now and prepare to use it. The yeah. problem is that along the way, you get people who make mistakes. Those people make the news. And then the news never bothers to report the accounts of people who successfully defend themselves or protect other people. It's always, look at this Yahoo with a gun. He's probably from Alabama, and he shot this guy when he shouldn't have, and now he's going to jail. Well, I want to thank you for all the future hate mail coming from our listeners from Alabama, number one. <laughs> I do not hate Alabama. My problem with Alabama is that for five months of the year, it is the surface of the sun. And I am a fat man, and I cannot handle so if if you are from Alabama and you're offended, please don't be. It's only the fact that it's a thousand degrees there for part of the year that I have a problem with. Buck Green hates Alabamans. <laughs> there, take that. Well, it would be it would be only fair for us to do a commercial about how why does Buck Green hate Alabama? Was he hiding? Yeah, or is he just a <laughs> fat gun owner who works at Walmart? Did you did you enjoy the podcast that you weren't here for that you were here for? Yeah, I always appreciate things at my expense. Always works for my. <laughs> and uh, but I also have to thank you on the plus side for the shameless plug for bulletproofdefensedvd.com, which is where you get that DVD. I meant to throw in a shameless plug, but um, I really do. It, it, it really is, and I actually even if we weren't making money off it, I would want people to see it. Yeah, and and you know what I did? Well, and you know we make it seven bucks for crying out loud with free shipping. So it's like I, I, we we price this because I strongly feel that everybody needs to. I mean, essentially, it's free. I mean, we you know between everything that we do with production and shipping, and handling and everything, it's basically a free DVD because it does scare me that people that let responsible gun owners out there are going to be irresponsible simply because they they don't know what their legal rights and, and responsibilities are. In fact, I ended up giving a free copy to everybody that was in my concealed carry class because I felt that was the only, if as long as they watched the DVD, that was the only training they were going to get. And, and I got to tell you, even, even seeing other people's training for, and, and even going through the concealed carry course, what we did cover in the legal responsibilities, some of it was just plain wrong. They were still going off the 21 foot rule. I'm like, you, all right, please watch this DVD. Just please watch it because you've never been in a situation. And this is, look, this is typical. Most people that have a firearm use it down at the range. Static targets, you know, they don't get any tactical training. You're not shooting at somebody who is charging at you from 50 feet away. So it's easy to assume that there's a 21 foot rule because that was what was in the curriculum, which pisses me off but that you've never experienced somebody from 21 feet away and realize that that's a ridiculous rule. Like that is, that is a stupid ass rule. It's, it's 50 feet away at the, you know, and it all depends on you, but, but you've got to hold, Never mind. I could go again. The 21 foot rule is like, I could do a full hour show on that because it pisses me off so much. But the point is, is that you really have to 
you, sh- you should watch. Every gun owner should be issued this DVD. So it's ignorance of both the law, but also firearms in general. That is society wide. That ignorance is killing legal self defense. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, anyway, so you can get that DVD over at bulletproofdefensedvd.com. Uh, you can pick it up there. So go ahead and grab a copy if you don't already have it. And uh, I guess that brings us to the end. This week, I mean, we didn't. Who needs a blog? <laughs> I think there's more than enough. There's more than enough stuff happening in the news for us to bitch about. That you know, we don't have to go into all of this stuff. It's been an eventful couple of weeks, that's for sure. Yeah. Anyway, okay, everybody. So, um, so thanks for joining in, and thanks for your comments that you've been leaving. I need. I keep reminding. I keep trying to remember remind myself to bring up some of the comments from the podcast because we're getting more and more five star ratings and and uh, people are really loving the podcast. It's growing in popularity in iTunes and it's because of you the listeners out there and you know subscribing, downloading the podcast, uh leaving comments, leaving us a, a positive, you know, five star rating, all that really helps us get the word out and I really appreciate it. And uh so keep it up, okay? And share it with your friends, family and like-minded coworkers and everybody. So just get help us get the word out there. So, until the next uh, Modern Combat and Survival Friday Reload podcast, this is Jeff Anderson. And this is Buck Green. Saying train hard. Stay safe. Prepare now. Thanks, everyone. has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.